It's so great to see each of you here today. In fact, I just want to call out a guy's name that is so awesome to see today. Clovis Conley is with us today. For the past several years, Clovis has cared for his dear bride. And Kathy, as we sang that song, is in heaven today. And for those of us that knew them, we watched Clovis take care of his dear bride. And I have to tell you, Clovis, and I've told you this twice now, I'll tell you again. What an example of someone who took their vows seriously, not only to Kathy, but to the Lord. And you loved her in sickness and health. Thanks for being a great example. It's great to see you here today, brother. Great to see you. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, in just a moment, I'm going to just talk about the importance of just daily reading the Bible. If you do not have a Bible, we have at the Welcome Center, we have a little Bible, and so this might encourage you to read it. It's only half of it, so hey, that's a good thing. But in it, it has a reading plan, and if you're not too familiar with the Bible, we'd encourage you to go by and get it. I think there's some great helps in there that we have put in there to help you kind of understand some things and how to read the Bible, so if you don't have one, I'd encourage you to go by there and get that. So at the beginning of this year in January, we talked about having kind of a personal disciple-making plan. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you, if you know it or not, you're a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you and I are called to make disciples. And so we started at the beginning of the year, like, have a plan. Because you know the old uh, kind of the saying, right? If, um, if you, what is the plan, what is the deal? If you fail to plan, what's the rest of that go? You plan to fail. And that's true in all areas of life. In Christianity, the same way, you just don't drift to higher ground. You have to be intentional with your walk with Jesus, all right? And so the thing is, we've talked about what is that plan. And so last Sunday was the middle of the year. And so it's always good just to kind of look back. How'd it go? If you're new, hey, here's a great place to start of just how are you planning your walk with Jesus? And last week, if you look at the top of your notes there, we talked about how are you going to fill your mind with the word of Christ? Um, how are you going to fill your affections for Christ? And how are you going to show, be a witness? And so this week, we're going to do the second three. This is just the last three. And so Pastor Marty will be with us next uh, Sunday. So you only have to endure one more, all right? But here's the last three, and I think they are as important as the first ones, all right? So here's the, here's the deal if you look in your worship guide. Number four, how will I show God's love as a member of His church? In your worship guide, right under it says, The Bible flies in the face of American individualism and church consumerism. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but our Western culture is more individualistic than any other culture in the world. So the Lone Ranger, Chuck Norris, yes, I, I like him, but Chuck Norris, John Wayne, and all that, that's not really known in other countries, like the Lone Rangers. Other countries, they realize the need of having other people in your life to help you in your walk with Christ. And so, but in America, even in the church, we can become individualistic and we can become consumers. 
Consumers, as a Christian, that's an oxymoron. A Christian should not just be a consumer. A Christian is what? A contributor. A Christian is a servant of God. And so number four would be, and it's a question that you ask personally of yourself, and I ask personally of myself, how will I show God's love as a member of His church? And so you found Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to start looking in verse 11 and follow along. So Christ himself gave the apostles, there were 12 of those if you'll remember. An apostle had to be a person that walked with Jesus, saw him after his resurrection. There are no more apostles, right? Then there were the prophets, and they were the ones before the word of God was written, God spoke to them and gave us his word. But now that you and I have the Bible, there are no more prophets. Hear me. There is nobody else in this world given a word that's extra to the other than what the Bible you have. Does that make sense? If you hear a commercial on TV that, hey, listen, this is the second, you know, Bible. Like the first one, it, it had a few things left out. And so a guy named Joseph Smith, you know, got together with some whatever, and they came up with some other things. And so to have a complete Bible, you need to read this other. There is no other. You have you and I have God's word in our hand, not to be added to or taken away from. It's trustworthy, and so we have that. But here's some other folks that God has given us for today, and that is evangelists. Now, if you don't know Elliot Schrock, and Elliot has moved to Waco, Texas, because they need Jesus, probably I guess more than Oklahoma. But the deal is, Elliot, if you knew Elliot, he was an evangelist. That does not mean that you and I do not share our faith with people. But there are certain people that have this umption in them. And if you knew Elliot, if you stood still long enough, in fact, you didn't have to stand still. Uh, he would follow along with you. And he would just start witnessing to you. And honestly, an evangelist is someone that you're around and it just revs you up. You got people like a Chip McWilliams, a doctor who goes all over the world. You got people like another doctor, a Mike McGee, who goes all over the world. But not only just all over the world, but everywhere they are, they share Christ. And an evangelist is someone you're around and it just kind of rubs off on you like they're, they're contagious in a good way. Like you get courage and you get enthusiasm like, man, these people are sharing Christ and you hear their stories and that is why God gave them that it would rub off on you and I. And then it says that he gave pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? Why did he do this? Verse 12, to equip his people, that's all of us, to equip his people to do what? For the work of service. Many of your translations say for the work of the ministry. And so God gave these gifts to the church so that we would be equipped to do the ministry. So the person who stands behind this pulpit is not the only one that does the ministry. He pastors, teaches by example, by getting there as well, but also by helping us understand what's the Bible say about all of our responsibilities that we are to be ministers. So if you were to say... Who's the ministers at Heritage Baptist Church? Every one of us ought to raise our hands. 
Because every one of us are ministers. One person cannot do it. That was not God's design. God's design was that His people would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. It goes on to say, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of His Son, the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceiving schemes. Instead, speaking truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Now get this. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God uses incredible illustrations, pictures throughout the Bible, but probably the best one He has for the church is it's a body. You and I are the body of Christ in this world. Every part of your body has a function and it has a responsibility. And you know this, every one of you know this personally, that when one of the members of your body starts misfunctioning, it does what? It affects every other part of your body. You know this, right? So a few years ago, I started having some pain in my stomach. And uh, I'm, like, I'm like most men. I like, you know, didn't go to the doctor for a while until Sherry told me probably the 400th time, you know, go get that thing checked out. Most men, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know who you are. He goes in, and the doctor goes, hey, it's your, it's your uh, gallbladder. Is that what they took out? Okay, just making sure they took the right thing out. But anyway, they said it's your gallbladder, and you know, that's only that big. It's only the first knuckle of your thumb. It's only that big. I thought, no, I got a watermelon in there that is doing something not right. And so that thing that big wasn't working. And from the my, top of my head to my toes... Everything was affected, right? You know this. Everything's affected. When one part is not functioning as it should, everything is affected. You are part of the body of Christ. You might think like, hey, I'm just the gallbladder. I want you to know you're really important. I'm, I'm thinking they took that thing out. One day I'm going to realize, like, they probably shouldn't have taken that out. I probably could use that somehow, you know. But the deal is, you have a function. doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter whatever. You have a function in the body of Christ. And your function is to take that responsibility that God gave you and to do it. And so let's just talk about what are some of those. So in your notes, you'll look. The very first one is, who am I going to serve? Do not read that wrong. It does not say, am I going to serve? That would be a direct disobedience to what the Bible says. If you are a follower of Christ, and you're a part of the body of Christ, if you're not serving, it's a direct disobedience to God's Word. So, who? It is who will you serve? And so I just want to give a few things that are thought-provoking to me that over the years I've kind of been asked this, I've thought this, 
I've reminded myself of this. And here's the first one. Is there a race, a type, or an age of person you instantly refuse to serve? As a follower of Christ, is there a race of people, a type of person, and you can just kind of take that wherever you may, or is there an age of people that when you think of serving, you instantly go, not them. You know what I've learned over time? That's usually them that God is pointing you to. If you instantly, it wells up inside of you like, not going to do that, that's probably God saying, that's probably where I want you to go. And so it might be an indicator from the Lord, this is exactly where he would want you to begin serving, no matter your age or whatever. The other one would be is ask God, why shouldn't I serve there? Have you ever asked that? Hey, God, why shouldn't I serve there? I know I've asked before, like, hey, why should I serve there? You know, and then you know the answer right off. But the deal might be, instead of asking God, why should, just ask God, why shouldn't I work there? And see if he gives you an answer or not. But not only why shouldn't I, but hear this, here's this last one. Focus on your obedience to God. Hear the rest of the statement. Focus on your obedience and not the comfort of your current situation. A lot of us can get comfortable and we don't realize it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the reason you don't realize it is because you're comfortable there. It's just like, man, this is comfortable. You know, you don't say that, but I've been there. And you're like, man, this is like a good ride right here now. But yet, you realize you're just uh, in your current situation, you're just basking in it. And yet, it might well be that God is saying, hey, I'm going to change that up. Because until Jesus comes or you die, for a Christian, that's all there is. Until Jesus comes or you die, you and I are in a continual mode of growing in Christ-likeness and changing and God working in you and I's lives. And so it might well be that God is saying, I want you to serve here. And it goes against the grain in your soul. And yet you know that's probably exactly where God wants you to be. Look at, if you will, the next one. Ask this question of yourself. What will I do to get involved? What will I do? How will I get involved? I, I just want to give you a, a little help. So on the website at Heritage, it's called Heritage OKC. It's our website. And whenever you go to the top of it, it'll have serve. And if you'll click on that, it will come up and there will be three categories. And there will be serve in the church, serve in the neighborhoods, serve in the nations. And it will give all kinds of ideas of places here at Heritage, places in our neighborhood, and places around the nation that you could be a part of. And here's my deal, okay? Here's my deal. Take a serious, prayerful look at the needs. I mean, like, just... Just say, like, you know, I'm going to click on there, 
and just with a seriousness and a prayerfulness look and say, God, is there something here you'd have me do? For instance, right out there in our foyer, there is a um, table. It's set up. It has a bunch of these on it. And so a few years ago, we partnered with one of our elementary schools just down the street from us. And two or three times a year, we get to bless them. And we get to bless them with school supplies because uh, some of the families can't afford school supplies, so we uh, supply those. But on the night, uh, we go join the principal and the teachers as they welcome new families and students, and they come to kind of a carnival-like thing. It's on a Sunday night. We cook food for them. We supply all these supplies. We supply games and all kinds of different things so that the families can come and meet their teachers. We're there just to help them. We're there just to help them and to be a blessing to them. We are playing like second fiddle. I know that's not kosher, right? Second violin, right? But anyway, second fiddle. Anyway, we're there just to support them. But yet, it is a way that we get out into our neighborhoods and to be able to serve. And so you can go out there and you get some of these things and you can bring supply. Or you can sign up and you can show up and you can be a part of serving our school as they serve families and just a great way to get involved in our neighborhood. It's, it's an incredible way to get there. And so my question would be this, to ask yourself, how will I get involved? And then here's the third one. When will I serve? When will I do this? And here, here's what I say to myself, and I encourage you to say to yourself. Make a timely choice and give it 100% for three reasons, for the glory of God, for the good of other people, and here's one that most of us miss, for your joy. Some of you in this room, and I've been there, some of you in this room, your Christianity at this point in your life is boring. It's stale. You're like, what really is the difference? Because when a part of the body isn't functioning like it should, you get bored, you get stale, and you're like, maybe I should be doing something else. Deal is, some of you might be missing joy because you have not been given 100% to the glory of God for the good of other people and that you might experience the joy that comes with that. In fact, there in Ephesians, you can turn over it if you want, but I want you to read this with me, would you? Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so making what? Making use, seeing every opportunity of every day, of every moment of your life as not just a coincidence or like just, hey, that just happened, but like God's involved in your life and you're a part of God's mission and that you're seeing that all these opportunities that is coming your way is not just by accident. It is God bringing them to you or God bringing you to them so that you could be Christ in that particular situation.
Number five, how will you spread? And this will be stretching, I know. How will I spread the glory, God's glory, among all peoples of the world? How will I do that? So in your worship guide, it says, A clear commission of Christ for every single disciple is to make disciples of all nations. Regardless of where you live, it is your is your life going to impact every nation? How is your life going to impact every nation, tribe, tongue, and people in the world? And so for just a moment, I want you just to imagine outside these walls, and I want you to think of some thoughts that to me are disturbing, but these are things I read every morning to get my mind out of my little world, out of this box, and go further. So I want you to hear these. Right now, there are 4.5 billion people in the world that are not followers of Christ. Two billion of those are unreached. In other words, the gospel has not come to them. They don't have a Bible in their language. They don't have a church. There's not a Christian there. The gospel, if you went and said Jesus, they would wonder, who are you talking about? Two billion. And unreached means they are lost and no one's looking for them, is what unreached means. 26,000 children will die within the next 24 hours of starvation and preventable diseases in the world today. One billion people attempt to live on less than $1 a day in our world. Two billion people attempt to live on two dollars or less in a day. Nearly half the world is attempting to find food, water, shelter to survive. And this is probably what gets me more than any of these. If you have running water, shelter, clothes, food, and some means of transportation, then you are in the top 15% of the world's wealthiest people. You ever thought of yourself as wealthy? And yet, when you and I think of the 7 billion people in the world and what most do not have, for those of us in this room that have a meal, three meals a day, in most countries... Most families get a meal a week. And so most of us get three or four meals a day, seven days a week. We have a way to get to work. We even have a job. And we have a home or some kind of shelter. We're amongst the 15% of the world's wealthiest people. So if you will, from Ephesians, take a left and go to the Old Testament. It's called Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. In Proverbs 24, there's this ver two verses I've read for years. If you like read through the Bible, if you read through the Proverbs, the proverb of the day kind of thing, you'll, you'll come across this and you're kind of like, what is that talking about, all right? And so if you've read this over and over again, it can kind of become like it doesn't really stick, all right? But in light of just those kind of numbers and statistics, Proverbs 24, start in verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 24, 11, 12. Rescue those who are being led away to death. So in our world, 
today there are still slaves, there are child slaves, there are child soldiers. I can remember being in Africa, meeting a guy named Jack. Jack was 16 years old, and at 12 he was kidnapped from his, or taken, I don't know if kidnapped would be the word, he was just taken from his home so that he could become a child soldier. And he had a he had a brand. It wasn't a tattoo. He had a brand on his shoulder where they took a hot wire and kind of the name of the rebel group that he was a part of, they heated up this wire and they branded this thing on his arm, meaning you belong to this group. And he was taught to kill people as a boy. And he escaped. And he found this mission couple and they led him to Christ and he would hang around. So for the few days I was there, I got to meet Jack. He was a boy soldier against his will. taken, And that happens in the world. That's not just in movies. It like really happens. It's like really happening today. Their children sold to richer families in other countries so they can be servants. And they like live in dog houses out back. That kind of stuff today and without Christ. And so when you read Proverbs 24, it says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And so with that, you're like, what do I do? I'm here in Oklahoma. What do I do? What, can, what part can I play? Okay? So, follow with me. How will I pray for the nations? Okay? Uh, you know this. Pastor Marty's uh, told us this many times. But I want you to read this and maybe see something that oftentimes we, like, miss when we read this verse. Would you read it with me out loud? Is it not written... My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. And so the thing is, we've always heard like, hey, when we come together, we're to be a house of prayer. But we're to be a house of prayer for what? Are we only supposed to be a house of prayer for Aunt Sally's like gallbladder that's going bad? That's a good thing. If you prayed me for me while my gall- gallbladder was going bad, thank you. All right. But is it more than that? Is it like we're to be praying way beyond these walls? And have you ever thought that your prayers accomplish things that you know nothing of, and how that works, I don't know, but God honors prayer of His people. And have you ever thought that if you would begin to pray for the nations, that God might use that in somebody's life? So I just want to give you a couple things that have been a help to me. Of course, you all know this, right? There's seven continents There's seven days a week. And so maybe starting today, pick a continent and just start praying for it. And tomorrow, pick another continent. And then as you're doing that, why don't you do some research and find out, hey, what missionaries and maybe what believers are there? And you begin to pray for them. And then maybe you be so bold as to like pray that maybe one day you could meet them or somehow you could be involved in their lives and you just start honestly and earnestly praying for the world and like in a week can you imagine you prayed like for the whole world and then you know what you do you start all over again 
And then as you keep praying that, you're praying for, hear me, this happens to me, my prayers can be right here. I got so much going on in my life, I can just pray right here, but God wants it to be broader and broader and broader. And he wants you and I to be praying more and further out and further out and praying for people. And I want to give you just a, one thing that's been a great help to me. It's called the Joshua Project. And if you have a phone, you can get this app. It's free. You can just Google it, get on your app deal. And it's called Joshua Project. And every morning when I click on it, it gives me another group of people in the world that's unreached. And every morning I read these things. And here's the one as I was preparing for this, the one that gripped me. And I want you to see, here's what it showed, all right? So on July 1st, in China, there's a group of these people, and there's approximately 634 million of them, and they're Islamic. They have no scripture. In fact, they have no scripture written in their language. You could not hand them a Bible because they could not read it. It is not in their language yet. There is no Jesus film. And if you know anything about the Jesus film, it is the number one film, and it's old school. I remember when it came out, it was on this big reel. We were showing it in Mexico, and it came off the projector and started rolling down the street. And our missionary, Greg, kept feeding it, and he had me go find, you know, rolling it back up. Hey, be sure and wipe the dirt off. And, we're, and Jesus is playing, and it's in their language, and it's the life of Jesus. And why I say that, it's in more languages than any other film that is the life of Jesus. And so this is huge when they do not have the Jesus film in their language. They can't even watch a movie that explains the gospel to them. But here's, here's what gets me. There has never been a known church or Christian amongst these people. Never. Never. Can you imagine being a part of six million people? You have no idea about the things that we worship about this morning. And so the Joshua Project is there so that you read it, and then you pray for those people. And you go, I don't know those people. Like, what good's that going to do? Do you really believe that God answers prayers? Prayers that you might never see answered in your lifetime. But maybe one day you and I get to heaven and Somehow, if this happens, I don't know how it's going to happen. In fact, we're not going to be worried about it, right? You remember all those things you write down? I don't know if you write them down or if you think, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. Like, why'd you make fleas? Like, when you get to heaven, do you think you're going to ask God why you made fleas? None of it's going to matter. In fact, it's not going to matter if we get to heaven and you've been faithfully praying for people and people in this place got saved. It won't matter. But maybe about a billion years into it, God will go, hey, I want to show you some home videos. And maybe you were praying for people you didn't know, but you looked at this and you had a heart for them and you began to pray for them. And one day you find out because there will be someone from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in heaven. Someone 
in this group is going to come to Christ. How? Well, maybe it's your and I's prayers as we pray for them. How will I give to the nations? You know this, or maybe you don't know this, but when you give to heritage, heritage gives to missions. When you hear of someone going on a mission, help them go or help them stay on mission. Help them go. Help them stay. How will you go to the nations? How will you go to the nations? We do not have to ask God if we are to go. He's already told us to go, right? Matthew 28 says go. For every believer in this room, you don't have to ask God, am I supposed to go? You know what you and I have to do? We have to ask God if we're to stay here. That's pretty radical. You don't have to ask. I don't have to ask if I'm to go. God, am I supposed to stay here? Because you've already told me to go. And then I would encourage you to do this. Just begin praying. Begin asking God. I mean, begin asking God, hey, am I supposed to go somewhere? So just quick, I want to tell you just a little story. So I grew up in a little church in Edmond. And the little church in Edmond, every month, had a responsibility at the Grace Rescue Mission in Cowtown, Oklahoma City. Many of you know about this place, but it's a place where uh, men who live on the streets, they come in, and they have to be in a, a worship service, then they get to eat. So they have to sit there. And so our little church, my mom was the piano player, and uh, because I was her son, I got to go as well. Uh, and my sister got to go, and a few other people in church. And every month, we had a responsibility on one night of the month to go to Grace Rescue Mission, and I was scared to death every, every month. Because I had to go set up in the choir loft while these uh, street guys sat there, like, hurry up and get it over with, because I want to go get my dinner. That's kind of, and I was scared. But we would do that every month, year after year after year. And all of a sudden, when I became a youth pastor, I'm taking young people to the Grace Rescue Mission. I hated it when I was a kid. I grew to love it when I got older. And then as God began to work in my life, I realized, hey, I need to be witness to my friends and to my neighbors. I can remember my cousin Raymond. When we were in school, he was the toughest kid in school. No one messed with Raymond, which meant... Nobody messed with me. That was a, like a plus, you know, like, hey, don't mess with Jim. Not that he's like real buff and strong and, you know, like, no, he's Raymond's cousin. Don't mess with him. Raymond will mess with you. And Raymond could mess you up really bad. I'm just telling you. So Sherry and I, we get married. And my cousin Raymond, we're out of school. I haven't seen him in years. And he's just a few apartments down. And we get to kind of reconnect. And I started getting this burden for my tough cousin. And I still remember sitting on the stairs of the apartment, talking to my cousin about, does he know Jesus? And what Jesus has done in my life. And my cousin Raymond receives and trusts Christ that day. Then I remember I get this call. I'll try to keep this short. But I get this call on my cell phone. And I'm at Children's Hospital visiting someone, and my mother calls and goes, hey, your cousin Mac is in intensive care. 
over here in the other hospital and uh, his mother your aunt would like for you to go over and visit him and i told my mother no oh my gosh you don't do that y'all know that right kids you know that don't tell your mother no i told my mother no i'm like i'm not gonna go visit him i hate him i did i hated him and here's why i was a christian and he was a satanist i hated him and he worshiped the devil I didn't really realize that before I became a Christian, well, so did I. So I'm walking to my car. I'm going to come back to church, and I get in my car, and I can't leave. You know that feeling, right? The Spirit of God's just working on you. You've said no to your mother, and you've said no to me. So I go up there in intensive care. There my cousin is. His name was Mac. He's full of lines and tubes. He's dying. And we have small talk, and I leave, and I think, that's good enough. And I go home, and I forget about it. The next morning, I'm having my quiet time, and all I can see is Mac, 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 Mac. Try to read my Bible. There's Mac's face. I'm trying to pray. There's Mac's face. So I have to go back up to the hospital again, not because Mom told me to, because the Spirit of God told me to. And I go up there, and we have some small talk. I'm like, what do you talk to a Satanist about? Like, I don't know anything what he believes, except he believes the wrong thing. And like, I'm trying to do small talk, and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do here. So I go home, and I'm praying, and the next morning I go see him again. And as the story's going, I win every day, every day, every day. Until one day, my cousin said this, I can't do anything. And what he was meaning, he's on an intensive care bed. Tubes are keeping him alive. And he's thinking he's got to get up and do something. I knew that was my chance. And I said, Mac, you're exactly right. There's nothing you can do. Isn't that hopeful? Like, didn't I just give him a lot of hope right there? Like, you're right. You're going to die right there, Mac. There's nothing you can do. Because I said, Mac, you're exactly right. There's nothing you can do. Because it's already been done by Jesus on the cross for you and my, Mac for me. Before Christ, I was as lost as you. I knew he couldn't get up and punch me. He was in an intensive care bed, right? So I'm like, I might, might as well just go for it. And that day, my cousin Mac received Christ. Four days later, I did his funeral. So at a grave of a guy who for most of his life worshipped the devil in a moment of time trust in Christ. He's in heaven. Is that fair? Well, I'd say this. Is it fair that I'm going to heaven? Is it fair that any of us are going to heaven? No, it's not fair. It's called what? Grace of God. So just real quick, over the years, I've asked God, I'd love to be able to go and share my faith. And hear me, I'm nobody. I have no degree behind my name. I have no college education. I am nobody. I'm a bricklayer that's been saved is all I am. And God, over the years, has let me go to places I would have never dreamed. And I beg God now, I want to go places I've never dreamed so I can take the gospel. Hear me. If it can happen with me, it can happen with any of us.
So real quickly, and i got to quit. Number six, how I make disciples among a few people. Maybe this is where I just camp for a moment. It says in your guides, Jesus spent his life investing in a few people. He invested his life in a few people. You think of like he fed 5,000 men and their family and he was all, did all this stuff, but you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, and you realize he spent time with what? Twelve guys who were a bunch of bums. And if I would have been there, I would have been a part of it because I qualified. And he spent time and he invested in them and his strategy for reaching all peoples was clear Make disciple makers among a few people. God will lead us to live in all kinds of different places in the world. Yet regardless of where we live, the task we have is the same. No Christian is excused from the commandment to make disciples. No Christian would even want to escape this command. And so you see the questions. How will I connect with them? How will I teach them to obey? That's what the commission tells us. How will I model it? How will I do this? By being willing and asking God, use me in other people's lives so that you might help them to grow where you're at and beyond and that God might take them and use them. I want to encourage you. The resources have been helpful to me over these years at the bottom of your worship guide. I would encourage you to go and find those the very first one, the multiply, is absolutely free. You can get online. You can look at it. It's a great help. How do you begin to invest your life in somebody else's life? And hear me, you're never too old to do this. And I end with this. I just end with this. So, CJ, real subtle like last week. You can just start coming up. Is that subtle? So, here, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. So, this guy, he's in his 80s. His name is Dr. Bill Stewart. Dr. Bill was a teacher at Moody Bible Institute. He had a radio. He lived in Edmond, Oklahoma. He had a radio program. He knew the Bible left and right. He would get up and start preaching. He didn't even have to have his Bible because he knew it. His wife knew it better, so she would correct him like, oh, that was a, you know, that's a different chapter, honey. Oh, thank you. They'd have that dialogue, right? So he, it was just incredible. He had written books. He, like, it was an incredible life. And yet, I was at youth camp one time, and there's this seventh-grade boy, and a seventh-grade boy every morning gets up, has a quiet time. He's courteous. I'm not, hey, if you're a seventh-grader over here, nothing against you. All of you guys, seventh-grade guys I'm talking about. If you're a seventh-grade guy, y'all are cool. Most of them are. Okay, all right. This was an exceptional seventh grade guy. I'm like, man, something's different about this guy. And so one day I just say, hey, man, like, did your dad teach you how to do this? And he goes, well, I don't have a dad. But he goes, there's this guy in our neighborhood. He didn't know anything about Dr. Bill Stewart. He didn't even know he was a doctor. All he knew is this guy named Bill Stewart would invite him down every afternoon on Tuesdays after he got home from school and They'd read the Bible together. He would talk to him about the things of God. In fact, Dr. Bill led this seventh grade boy to the Lord, and he was investing his life in him, just telling him what he knew. And then this boy is just going to take it and do the same thing with somebody else. You're never too old, never too young. doesn't matter if you got a degree. 
Or you can do what I do, lay brick, and not that good. But God wants to use you in somebody else's life. So the invitation is not too subtle, right? It's just like, hey, God, whatever you have for me, I want to do that. I want to be a follower of yours. I want to invest my life in other people. I want to do that. And so I just invite you, just you can sing and your praise back to God can be a response or you can just pray and your response can be back to God. So won't you stand with me? We'll just respond back to God.
some Kennecut staff are on their way here, and they'll be arriving this afternoon, and this place will be transformed, and our neighborhood's coming to us, and so be sure and be praying for them, but before you leave, if you're able, stack pews in just stacks of four, and just leave them right there, and that'll help them to be able to get this room to kind of be transformed so they can use it. And so I'd love to pray for you as we go out into our world. God, I pray that you would be with me most than anybody, and you'd be with these people. And I pray that as we go from this place, we have been together as a family and a body, and it's been wonderful, and we go out into a dark place. Some of our workplaces are dark. Some of our neighborhoods, some of our family don't know Christ. and Neighbors, and I pray that you'll use us as your followers in the world. I pray this week there would be incredible transformation happen in people's lives that come to Camp Kennecut this week. May this week, while our kids and Kicker and some other of our sponsors are at Camp Barnabas, I pray lives would be transformed. I pray that when we are out in the world this week, we'll get to share the gospel and pray for people we never thought of. And Lord, when we get back together, we share like what you've been doing in our lives and what we see you doing and find this joy that maybe we haven't had in a while because we see that you using us in ways we haven't been used maybe before or in a long time. I pray that you'd help us to be seeking you. Show us who we're to serve and where we're to serve and how to be a part. What person do we need to go talk to or call or pray for or come alongside of and encourage? I pray that we would be your people this week, sensitive to your spirit, to every person you bring our way or that you take us to them. I pray our, our heart would always be yes to you. I pray that if there's a no, may you root it out of our hearts. May it be yes. And I ask this in your powerful name. Amen. God bless you.